Golden Spiral Media presents Dark Matter, a fan podcast dedicated to Extant on CBS. Each week, Mike and Dave explore the mysteries, characters, and drama that unfold on Extant, and they want to hear from you too. Send in your thoughts by calling 304-837-2278 or visiting goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. Now, here are your hosts, Mike and Dave. Hello, we're glad you could join us for this installment of Dark Matter, an extant podcast. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is show number eight, where we'll be talking about season one, episodes nine and ten of the CBS summer event series, Extant. These episodes are respectively entitled Care and Feeding and A Pack of Cards, and they aired together on August 27th, 2014. And the first episode was actually written by the show creator, Mickey Fisher. And now we're starting to have a few repeats uh, directed by Dan Adius, the first episode. But the second episode was directed by Dan Lerner, who also directed episode 105. And it was written by Leslie Bohem, who also wrote 102. So we're starting to get some veterans going on here. Is this the third episode Mickey Fisher's written? Third one, yeah. Okay. So yeah, and it, it, we weren't expecting that. And I like playing around with these titles. And in fact, uh, it's a rarity that you actually hear the title come out in the dialogue in the episode but we heard both of those and i particularly enjoyed a pack of cards which is from alice in wonderland where alice just says you're nothing but a pack of cards which kind of just speaks to figuring out that it's all an illusion it's all just not exactly what it seems which is exactly of course what's going on in the show all right well listen uh you know i think the listeners should know that you Made a huge sacrifice. <laughs> Mike is here on the air recording with me now. He left behind Trisha Helfer, who asked him, <laughs> don't I know you from somewhere? I kid you not. I went to a press conference. I'm here at Dragon Con in Atlanta, broadcasting from my hotel room right now. And yes, I ducked out on the party scene that is going on downtown right now. But yeah, the last thing I did was a press conference with Trisha Helfer and took a picture with her and then she turns to me and says, like you said, don't I know you from somewhere? It was the most surreal thing ever. But yeah, having lots of fun here. Unfortunately, no extant guests here, but saw some Arrow folks and we'll be uh, sharing some of the audio with our Golden Spiral Media friends over at Arrow Squad. And a little bit later in the weekend, maybe touch base with some of the falling skies. I, I have an interview tomorrow with Drew Roy, who plays one of the Mason Sons. And maybe share that with the Berserker cast as well. So yeah, I'm taking one for the Golden Spiral Media team here and hanging out with my good pal, Trisha Helfer. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and as to why Extant is not there, as we've said all along, this was supposed to be just a one-off. And like Under the Dome, if the ratings were good, if the support was there, maybe they'd come back for season two. So, you know, since it's not a decision that would probably get made for quite a while, that's understandable. They're well, not there. Interestingly enough, though, Under the Dome was discussed here at Dragon Con, even though there were no guests from that show. And it's also, there's a, a fan panel about Under the Dome again this year, but nothing for Extant. And it's it's interesting because I'm not sure it's reached the audience that it's intended for to a great degree as reflected by the ratings. Yeah. And Although I, we got some good news this week, though. Yeah. I really don't know why, but yeah, uh, the, the ratings are, are finally on the upswing. Uh, again, for the second week in a row, we had a two-hour episode. CBS easily won Wednesday night with Big Brother in the mix. Uh, first half, 1.1 share, 5.8 million viewers. And the second, more normal for what we've seen the last few weeks, maybe the last month or so, 1.0, 5.6 million viewers. So, you know, pretty much hanging steady. And I, I think it's fair to say this is probably how the season's going to play out for the last three. And we'll just have to wonder if it's enough. And yeah. uh, I think we're really building to something big. It's interesting that they did the double episodes this week and last, uh, perhaps because it wouldn't have worked as well for the final two episodes to put them together. I'm not sure, but it seemed like to a certain degree last week also, but certainly this week, it actually seemed like one long episode. I couldn't even tell even though I was watching the clock where one episode ended and the, the next one began. 
Right. Now, this week, I felt like I could see that line of demarcation, but nonetheless, I felt like it was one big episode rather than two, because very often when a show airs two episodes, it's two episodes. Yeah. And they, my wife even commented this week, hey, there was no opening credits for the second episode. And so they did probably do some editing to make that transition smoother. Right. But yeah, let's go ahead and get on to our Dark Matter episode discussion. All right, so this is episode 109. And, you know, we open and we're still in the chamber at Claypool Industries. And, and Mike, there's a lot that's still confusing me about the offspring, about uh, what it is exactly that Spark sees and, and, and touches for that matter. But he sees Katie and he's seen her as both the adult astronaut and now he sees her as a child who can now talk to him. And you pointed out when we were talking the other day that, that it's interesting that now the vocabulary has increased exponentially. Yeah, I'm wondering if because it's now got half human in its makeup, that explains why it's not just echoing their words back to them. And now it's growing in strength and, and growing in abilities as well. Right. Now, I assume that it just reads people's thoughts and their deepest memories because it does really seem to play on specific phrases and words that uh, the person has in their deepest, darkest memories. And it must be doing something a little bit different here anyway, because this is really the only instance, uh, perhaps even including some of the illusions that it created in this episode for other people, this is the only instance where it's imitating someone not as they died, but in this case as a young girl, perhaps because that's exactly what not only Sparks, but later on also his wife actually want. Yeah, and, and certainly one of the things we wonder, and, and I think we still wonder it at the end of both of these episodes tonight, what does the offspring want? And Katie says here, he's scared, he wants you to help him, he wants out. If you let him out, I can come too. And I guess my question is, if this entity is so powerful that it can cause armed soldiers to turn on each other, why can't it let itself out? Well, or at least influence someone to open the door, <laughs> because it does seem like it's locked into that embryo's body. And of course, we did actually miss a big detail last week, as we'll find out in our Dark Matter Chatter segment from one of our listeners who submitted feedback, the embryo was there in the corner with its little glowing eye. Right. And, and we neglected to mention that last week. So perhaps it's locked uh, somewhat in that corporeal form and that's what needs to be released. But you're right. It seems strange that it would have to persuade rather than just force right. its way out. Okay. So then we're expected to believe that Sparks physically took the baby. Yeah. And that's what he has with him. It's just that we haven't actually seen it. We've only seen through its eyes. That's what I'm guessing. In fact, I noticed a lot on the live tweet that people were egging them on to show us the baby, show us what it looks like. Uh, but of course, that, they're going to tease that as long as they can. Okay. It's certainly like sports drinks. We know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Protein shakes and things like that. Okay. All right. So uh, the other thing we see in the opening segment, Harmon Krieger and Molly are still in that chamber amidst all the bloodbath that the offspring caused. And, you know, Harmon Krieger has kind of gone full circle from this guy that we perceive to be really a nut to now somebody that's really the only one making any sense. Yeah, he's the only one that's uh, seeing it for the danger that it is. Uh, and, just, and even if there is a, a sliver of hope that it's not dangerous, it's clearly doing dangerous things to protect itself. Uh, even though they might wonder about its motives, he's just like, who cares? It's killing people. Let's well, get rid of it. Right. And, you know, I, I think we have to ask the question, what did it do to him? I mean, you know, Molly was in the same situation he was up in uh, Seraphim Station, right? He saw his mother. I mean, she saw Marcus. I mean, why, why is he feeling so strongly about this being, you know, downright malevolent? Yeah, he even says something, I think, to Kern during their little journey in this episode. You didn't see what I saw. So I was like, well, is it just the fact that your mother was flushed out the airlock? Yeah. Uh, but I think that is what's affecting him. It just maybe is affecting him more. 
That's, yeah, that's I the guess. thing I can think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So one of the stories we see tonight, you know, has to do again with Ethan, but also Yasumoto's hidden agenda, which I, you know, we're still not exactly sure. I mean, I, I certainly think we we have to acknowledge that a lot of it has to do with him wanting to prolong his own life, of course. But the thing that I guess was confusing to me is that we see that Ethan's in his father's workshop with Odin. And I guess I wasn't putting two and two together. And again, this was something you pointed out to me a few days ago is that Yasumoto Towers is all inclusive. Yeah, we didn't find out until this episode that the lab is in Yasumoto Tower, just a few floors down from the penthouse that Yasumoto lives in. Uh, is that where he is with Odin? I thought he was in the workshop at, at the home with, with the robot. Well, that's what I thought also. But and, and this is just weird for me, too, that throughout both of these, these episodes, Odin is getting way too much time with Ethan. It, it's, it defies logic how much time he's getting alone with him. Well, I mean, you say that, but do we, you say that because we saw Odin at his little meeting? Because otherwise, why would Julie think otherwise? She sees Odin bonding with Ethan and Ethan really taking to him. That's true. And, and they did ask Julie to protect him while they went off and did other things because John is going off to ask Yasumoto for help while Julie and Odin and Ethan are still at the Woods home. Right. Now, I'm not sure why we had to come back to that whole he's lost his purpose line of thinking again. I mean, I mean, we kind of covered it in the last episode, but, you know, it's interesting that it comes up again. And it's interesting how Odin approaches it and how he answers Ethan's question. He, you know, he takes off his arm. And obviously we know that he's trying to connect with him and we know why we just don't necessarily know what his plans for Ethan are. Well, I almost feel like this was the beginning and it was a slow progression of Odin trying to get Ethan to think for himself and to not go with what his makers and caretakers are saying, because it starts with him saying, you've got to redefine your own purpose, which means start making your own choices so that you can get away from John. Because you wouldn't have noticed this the first time you watched it, but on rewatch, you realize that this led to the later incident where Odin is trying to persuade him to put the flame under his hand. Right. Yeah. So maybe you're right. You know, get Odin really trying to get him to make the decision on his own. Right. Whatever that's going to end up being, of course. Yeah, it's exactly. We, we have to wonder what's Odin going to finally persuade Ethan to do. Right. Now, I don't know about you, but I certainly thought Odin was going to pop in a dead battery or do something not on the up and up when Ethan tells him he needs a flip. You know what I think that was? I think that's just going to be a thing that we're supposed to file away for later where Odin is going to use that fact later on in a future episode. Right. Now, Yasumoto is really insistent. You know, I mean, John obviously ha- has come to him and he he needs help finding Molly and Yasumoto insists that Ethan come to his home and stay there where he'll be safer and, you know, at least John is somewhat resistant to that. And, and his reasoning is that I need to be home in case Molly comes there. And, and we get that. But I don't know. You know, it's he already knows there's some larger conspiracy at play. Well, but he doesn't know Yasumoto is part of it. And, well, no, that's true. And his house might be vulnerable simply from the fact that the ISEA knows where they live. And right. And they've already been there once, right? They wouldn't necessarily connect it with Yasumoto. Right. Well, that's true. The uh, I like the scene when, when they arrive and uh, Femi Dodd is there, of course. Um, and, and, you know, w- we certainly know that she's part of Odin's group. But, you know, again, it's I think our first inclination is to think that she's with Odin, that she's somehow anti-technology, anti-Ethan. And, you know, it may not turn out to be that. Yeah, it, it's a very subtle thing that they're playing with Femi. If she had not shown up at that meeting, I wouldn't really see any inkling other than a couple of phrases that she's said here and there. And I think it might even be only a couple things that she said that indicate that she's like Odin. Yeah. Now, as he's trying to bond with Ethan, it's almost as if he's trying to drive a wedge between Ethan and John, you know, and that that line, guys like you and me have to stick together. Right. Guys you know, like you and me that that are 
part machine. Yeah, exactly. Or in your case, all machine, but but that you know we've got that connection. He takes the arm off and shows him. It's like, look, it's just like yours. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> and, and yeah, you know, and, and you wonder, does Ethan know about Julie's legs? I, I would think he must. I would think so too. He senses the machine, you know, with the cleaning bot. But but then again, he didn't sense the the machine characteristics of Odin's arm either, or at least he didn't say he did. Yeah, I guess because it doesn't have that sentient or at least human like programming right. that a service bot would. But yeah, it's it's interesting that Ethan doesn't necessarily clue in that much to that connection that Odin is trying to make. Although Odin's message does get through about making your own decisions, uh, so. Maybe that's still a success for him. Well, you know, you, you bring that up about making your own decisions. And, and one of the things we have seen a lot in the last couple episodes, and certainly in this one, is this open defiance of his father. Yeah, well, actually, at first, I thought that too. But now I'm wondering if that initial part where he was ignoring his father as he came back from his discussion with Odin, and he started playing a video game, I think, I think that was just because he was picking up on the fact that John was kind of mad at him and was feeling upset about not being able to carry through on some of the fatherly duties that he had because John apologized about that. Right. And and I think Ethan even mentions that, right, that I thought you were mad at me later on. So, yeah, you could be right. When John reconciles with him, Ethan does kind of change and is more warm towards him. But, yeah, here at this initial part, it does seem like it almost seems like Odin has made Ethan uh, a little bit cold towards his father right away. Yeah. Now, in this first episode or first hour, if you will, the majority of the screen time was related to the story of Sparks and the offspring. And, you know, we, we open, we're in the parking garage at Claypool. Krieger and Kern thinks think that Sparks took the offspring. Uh, but Krieger lies and tells Kern that Molly got out. And... You know, I guess in retrospect, we know why he lies. Yeah, but what a surprising thing. And I actually was not too fond of this part of the episode, or at least the Molly portion. Like, why did Krieger feel the need to lock her in the basement so that she couldn't influence things with the child? Well, I guess I looked at it more like influence things in terms of saving the child because... You know, she sees it as her child, which obviously Krieger points out repeatedly. I mean, first of all, Krieger wants to kill it. And my question is, how do you think you're going to kill it? Yeah, that. And also, I was kind of surprised that those actions kind of anticipate the fact that Sparks has already run off with the child, which at that point, Krieger didn't know. Right. But it turns out to be the case. So it's a good thing he did do that. I just didn't like the fact that they spent so much time with Molly escaping the place and all the sort of non-credible things that she did with some of the the heavies that were yeah. <laughs> going about. We'll get to that later, though. Yeah, it was almost as if she was auditioning for Mission Impossible 5. <laughs> That's right. Climbing up the elevator, hanging there by her fingertips. Uh, with, with wedges on. She, she didn't have heels, but she did have some pretty high wedges on there. Yeah, well, the one guy did a real cursory search of the uh, elevator. Oh, all clear. Oh, well, she's <laughs> hanging off the edge there. But uh, uh, anyway... The lies continue. Sparks tells Yasumoto that the offspring escaped. And, you know, this whole, you know, I'm not the guy for the job. I've failed you repeatedly. I quit. <laughs> and then we see him throw his, you know, tech away, disables the GPS, uh, the car's transponder, so he can't be tracked. But again, it's still, you know, show us the baby. <laughs> exactly. It's like, come on, we want to see what's going on here. Right. Because they don't seem all that repulsed. Right. But the next scene, I don't want to say it's the, in terms of dialogue, the most important, but it's pretty meaningful, although I'm not sure exactly what it means. You know, that, that John goes to Yasumoto for help locating Molly. And Yasumoto comes out with that statement that the world is about to change forever in very fundamental ways. We're witness to a seismic shift in human history. I mean, is he simply referring to the extraterrestrial that is the offspring? Yeah, I can't figure it out. Or is he talking about something that would be tied into the discovery of 
an alien race in general or something maybe even to do with the life prolonging effects of the asteroid substance that was found in the same area of space as the as the entity it, it could be in any number of things there that he's talking about but i do think it's interesting that his statement sort of ties him a little bit more closely to the new character that we see in this episode dr mason because they both seem to have that kind of spiritual view of this whole situation a spiritual view of the future of humanity anyway well yes yeah, certainly on mason's end and i mean he's such an interesting character because one minute we think he's really genuine and then the you know, next minute we think he's part of the conspiracy and then the next minute he's back to being genuine and really wants to help molly but yeah like you said i mean it, it what yasumoto's referring to could be any of a number of things because i mean if you think about the significance and implication of extending life dozens of years, maybe even longer. I mean, that, that's pretty significant. Not to mention, they bring up quite a bit the idea of bringing back someone that you love, almost as though that ability of the alien to bring back someone, even though it's an illusion, is somehow a good thing, something that people would desire, even though it's kind of false. So I'm not sure if they might even be referring to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, does Sparks go to that cabin just because it has good memories? I mean, obviously, he feels like he's not being tracked at this point. But, you know, he almost has to know that they've got at their disposal his history, if you will. But it's almost as if he's being overwhelmed by the fact that he can now see, touch, and talk to his daughter and wants to go into, you know, maybe put the offspring in a situation that it feels comfortable. Or put a situation in which Katie can feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah. It's weird because he treats this whole thing with Katie as a real thing. And the offspring knows it and says that, you know, this can be real. This can be permanent, meaning Katie being with them. Yeah. If you help out, whereas... We know just because we we see through Molly's eyes later that Katie is not actually really there, that it's just an illusion, and Sparks is totally buying it and playing into the offspring's hand in that sense. Well, but it's like I was saying to you uh, the other day. I mean, is she physical? In other words, can he touch her, and does he feel, you know, a solid child? And I think he does, but it, that doesn't make it actually true though well again then we get into what's true when katie says you know if you do all these things this can go on forever well who's to say it won't or it can't well because i think that even molly was able to feel marcus the tactile sensation was just as much an illusion as the visual okay but why couldn't it go on see that's what i'm getting at now obviously that would open up a whole <laughs> other series of problems and issues you know, so that are we going back to the seismic shift? Well, who knows? But well, also, the, you mentioned the fact that he went to the cabins as kind of a way to make people feel comfortable. They didn't actually track him by his history. So in a sense, he did kind of get away with that if they hadn't had a tracker on his wife as well. And then Molly does actually recognize where she's headed so that the history comes into play there. But but yeah, it, it's always dangerous to go someplace that can be predicted <laughs> by yeah. someone else. Yeah, absolutely. Now, obviously, you know, I, we didn't mention that Molly, you know, during that escape up the elevator shaft, she does fall. And, and maybe we'll, we'll come back to that flashback that she has in a minute or so, uh, because I'm not sure how important it is in the big picture. And even, you know, maybe you can fill me in on why you think that scene was was necessary but i really uh, don't know i did that was my least favorite part of the episode the whole molly escaping up the elevator shaft yeah so kern wants to contact molly krager tells him she still thinks it's a normal baby and and kern admits it certainly is not normal okay so the at least they're on the the same page there but my question fine you track it down you get the baby now what are you gonna put a bullet through its head well, I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as misguided as that might be as to, you know, the success of that endeavor. <laughs> but why would Krieger and Kern think that the offspring would allow that to happen when we've seen what it can do with, you know, a whole little unit of soldiers? So exactly. Exactly. Know. They're just doing what they can do. I don't think they have any other alternative, really, if they want to get it done and they don't have anyone else to help them. That's their only option. 
Yeah. Now, Esther, who runs the cabins, you know, obviously remembers Sparks. And it's clear that, you know, the family must have come up there frequently, whether once a year, maybe maybe more than that. But even she gets to see her dead husband. Yeah. Again, I'm predicting that this is exactly the state he was in when he died, making him similar to everyone else and Sparks being the only one that didn't didn't see his daughter that way. But I kind of was growing to really like her and was sad to see Sparks just go farther and farther off the deep end when he accidentally shoots her as she tries to report the coyote that she thinks she saw. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, Yasumoto, he's repeatedly said, you know, keep Molly alive. Even, you know, when, when there were others that thought they should just eliminate her from the from the picture, he certainly refers to as its mother time and again. Yeah. And does he think that the offspring will be more uh, susceptible, more receptive to coming in if Molly's there? And then once they get it in, then they can get rid of Molly or... I don't know. That's a good question. Does he think that Molly's influence or Molly's involvement is instrumental in some other way other than just uh, keeping it contained? Like, is she needed for some further step to be taken? Don't know. Yeah. Now, fortunately, she's highly skeptical of just about everybody at this point, and, and well, she should be. You mentioned Yasumoto bringing in Dr. Mason. Uh, you know, Expert in extraterrestrials, I get it, but didn't he also say he's an expert in pharmacology? Yeah, and how much of this do we trust? How much do we believe is true? Because at some time, sometimes he acts like a mercenary, and sometimes he acts like a sort of a disciple of Yasumoto, and not often does he act like a doctor of anything. Yeah, but I guess I wondered, <laughs> uh, you know, is it they're going to try to sedate the extraterrestrial somehow? And... You know, is there precedence for sedating extraterrestrials that we just haven't been made privy to yet? Well, that could be true. And if you combine the expertise in extraterrestrial life and pharmacology, you probably get something similar to the an analysis of the asteroid goo, where you're trying to make a drug or something out of the extraterrestrial energy <laughs> that they find so yeah. that it can be used to prolong life right that's my prediction anyway. okay well now the final scene of 109 and and again i i think it was a fairly clear cut and i and i really did like it you know molly calls john to let him know she's safe and that yasumoto's helping her mason takes her phone cracks it in half and you know the look she gives him is certainly the look that i have that okay i don't trust this guy as far as i can throw him at this point and that's pretty much how it ends and we go to commercial yeah, exactly. Can you imagine if that was the end and we had to wait a week? I would yeah. be like, what is up with this guy? <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, we mentioned when she fell in the elevator and, and we we go to a flashback two years prior at an ISEA contingency hearing before she goes into space. And basically, it's all about what to do with her body if she dies in space. Yeah, that's so weird. <laughs> and, and and you understand it from a practical standpoint, and you understand that, that it was very upsetting to John because we've you know he doesn't want her to go for, for several reasons, asks her, in fact, to stay, and, and they have that argument that, that she's trying to explain to him, look, this is what I do. It's probably my last opportunity to go into space. And then he hits the whole thing, and I notice he doesn't say, I feel like we're becoming a family. He uses the word unit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then she comes out and it's like, look, you know, it's not working for me that I can't tell you I feel something that I don't. And we assume she means for Ethan. Yeah. And this is what we saw at the beginning of the season as well. But I wonder at what point she made that transition because it was pretty early on, several episodes now that she's been the opposite of that, very warm and motherly. Right. So it, it did what happened in space oh, yeah. change her in that regard? I, you well, know. but even when she got back from space, she was saying that she didn't feel that way. I think something must have happened just with the whole dangerous situation, or maybe it's partly due to Ethan's 
Ethan's evolving as well that she has clued in on where she sees it as like when, when he has a nightmare, for example, she doesn't see it as a strange occurrence. She sees it as a son having a nightmare. So yeah, I think it's also part of Ethan's change that has caused Molly's feelings to change as well. Yeah. Um, And as to the significance of playing hide and seek, I have no clue. Well, that was just a chance for Ethan to then say, I don't want you to leave. Okay. So that we can see that he also has those feelings for her as well. But yeah, again, another throwaway moment. Uh, There's a lot of stuff where I feel like if this wasn't a two hour episode, I would have been disappointed in this first one because they spent so much time with Molly escaping and so much time with Kern and Krager pursuing Sparks where there really wasn't a whole lot getting accomplished. And the flashback that we just ended with there also kind of had some dead space in it. So I'm kind of glad we had episode 110 because there was a lot more meat to that one. Yeah, I don't think they could have (laughs) edited these two down to 42 minutes. No. Well, yeah, maybe one and a half episodes if if they tried. (laughs) Well, which obviously is not practical. So, uh, All right, so we're into the second hour, and we see John, who's upset with Yasumoto for helping Molly behind his back. And and again, you understand it, feels that Yasumoto took advantage of an emotionally fragile woman. And he kind of did. But again, he points out that, well, she sees this as her child. And look, is it her child? I guess. Yeah, well, I, I don't know that the audience is meant to draw a conclusion quite yet. Uh, but maybe they are. Maybe people are starting to line up on Molly's side or on Krager's side. I personally am on Krager's side, but <laughs> that's because we haven't really seen very much evidence other than the bird signals to Molly that show the offspring as helpful in any way. The only thing it did was warn Molly. That's the only sympathetic thing it's done. Now, when you say you're on Krager's side, you mean that that she simply carried it, that that she didn't right. necessarily provide the egg that was fertilized by the well, ET. Am, am I alone in that feeling? Is that not the way you feel? Well, I'm not sure, to be honest. <laughs> I, I really am not sure because, I mean, the, the idea that the it's a human-alien hybrid is certainly not out of the question, and... And I'm sure that they're going to be working towards that as a conclusion. Well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Are they working towards this uh, conclusion where Molly working together with the offspring will create a hopeful result? Or are we going down a dark path? Because they could go either way. You you can't tell what kind of show this is going to be here in the early stages. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll, 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 I will at least bring that up later when we, okay. get, to our, when we get to our prediction <laughs> Now, um, John wants to take Ethan down to the lab to run diagnostics, and obviously then we see that, okay, things are not as they seem. He, he's not allowed to go down there. And if do they really think John believes that it's for their safety that they can't <laughs> – well, like what? They can't follow him down to the lab? Yeah, it, it, this, this is where it just starts to become a control issue for him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then – John and Ethan have that that heart to heart talk, and it really was. I mean, I didn't shed any tears, but it certainly was an emotional scene. That, and I really feel like John was being sincere when he says, "Look, part of my problem is you're growing up, and you're making your own decisions." And obviously, part of the problem is that he's making his own decisions, even ones that he really wasn't programmed to be able to make. That's right. Mysteriously so, in fact. <laughs> yeah, and, and he even points out that, you know, I'm, I'm coming to grips with the fact that pretty soon you're not going to need me. And that's happening really, really quickly. Yeah, and I'm glad they had this conversation because Ethan needs to realize why his father feels this way. And, and it's still puzzling to me why Ethan doesn't know, considering he figured it out with the ring toss game that you can't be acting this way and, and be considered human anymore. But... <laughs> But it's good that he at least knows how his father feels about it. Yeah, and then I loved how he levels with him about what's going on and what we need to do and that you know we have to work together to get you out of the building. And I'm trusting you with this big part of the plan. And it's such a great... uh, You talked about Mission Impossible earlier with Molly climbing up the elevator shaft, but him getting past that heat sensor was another cool little uh, Mission Impossible trick 
where he has to turn his own heat sensors off so that he can get past or his warmers, I guess. Yeah. To get past the heat sensors. Right. But then he gets into the elevator, the doors are closing and we have the scene where you, you know, Femi Dodd saw it. Oh, I'm so glad they did that. Do you remember, we didn't mention this in the discussion a couple weeks ago, but there was a part of the episode either last week or the week before where Kern and Molly, I think it was, went into a doorway in the stairwell and a bunch of mercenaries just went right by them and then they came right back out the door again. And the door actually was making noise. And they still didn't notice that, proving once again that Sparks needs a new security team. But here, it wasn't that way. Ethan went into the the elevator and of course the elevator is going to make some noise when he tries to get into it. So I'm so glad they had Femi notice that Ethan was getting into the elevator. Right. But and the other thing I love about it is I I don't know what it really tells us because we want to make that connection between Femi Dodd and Odin because seeing them at the meeting, then I'm starting to think, well, is this some long elaborate plan that she saw him leave and that was part of the plan. Yeah, well, especially since Odin meets him and he tells him that Julie has already left. Yeah. Ethan was going there to see Julie. Yeah. And I don't even know that Julie has already left. She no, might actually be there. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's almost like because of how she is, she's so overly protective, I, I can't see her leaving. Yeah, so did Femi know that Odin was going to do this? And is this how we leave it with Ethan, with Odin taking him out? I can't yeah, remember. yeah, pretty much, yeah. Okay, so yeah, we'll have to see where that's headed because uh, that's left sort of hanging there. All right, now back to the story with Sparks and the Offspring. You know, we cut back to uh, Mason and Molly and they're on the road. They see a police car off to the side of the road and then she flashes back to the accident with Marcus. And that's the sheriff's car, in fact, that that has run into Sparks (laughs) and the Offspring and, and been sort of converted into a zombie. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting point, not only uh, for showing us a detail that, that we already know what's going on, even though they don't, but it also provides that visual cue for Molly to have her flashback. Yeah. Now, on the one hand, I was pretty surprised Sparks' wife even took his phone call. Oh, my gosh. The, the whole thing with Sparks' wife is just surprising to the extreme that Sparks was successful in any step along the way. <laughs> yeah, and and I guess we have come to the conclusion that what broke up their marriage was that she blamed him yeah, for, for yeah. the daughter's death. I mean, obviously, when you go into space, there's there's inherent danger, but uh, you know that certainly seems to be what it is. So she agrees to meet him at that garden they took Katie to as a child. And then eventually to the cabins. And and he says, look, I can't explain it to you. I just have to show it to you. And for whatever reason, she goes with him. And I don't know what would make her go with him. Exactly. And this is where we've been talking all along how great it's been to have this show have so many nods to X-Files. Yeah. (laughs) This is a case where I don't like the nod to X-Files. It's so much like that episode called humbug where there was a carnival. Um, what was it? It was like some extra person that was attached to another person. Right. It was was like this little creature that would go around and we saw through its eyes the same way we're seeing through this offspring's eyes. And the whole episode kind of feels like a creature of the week episode of X-Files in that sense, because this is the first episode where we have the offspring acting as its own, entity the embryo the ex embryo one could say needs sustenance it needs to be fed not only the protein shakes and the gatorade but also human life force perhaps yeah yeah well well, you know it feeds in different ways as we find out so uh yeah besides the uh like you said the protein shakes apparently it gets (laughs) something from from human beings as well but clearly it's out of the incubator so it's not you know, it's certainly not a fetus anymore. It's, 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 it's not pure energy anymore. Right. It's, and it's most certainly not a baby anymore. I wouldn't think, I mean, they keep mentioning that it's growing yeah. quickly. So uh, perhaps a, a young child now. Yeah. But anyway, they, they get to the cabin and immediately Anya can see Katie. 
And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I thought that he was going to be seeing Katie and she was not going to be able to. And then, yeah, yeah, exactly. And at this point in the episode, I did think that Katie was perhaps real and that she was telling the truth that if you help the offspring, then I can be real. I can stay. But once Molly saw the two of them together, Sparks and his wife feeding cookies to nothing, that's when I realized it's a joint delusion that they're having here. The creature is just influencing them both in the same way. So it appears to them that they're having an interaction with their young child. But what, what baffles me the most is that, okay, Anya buys it. It's fantastic. I understand that. But the fact that it's their child as a young girl instead of the adult child, and they like that. I mean, that is like sort of getting rid of a lot of life experience that they had with a daughter as an adult. Yeah, I guess so. And, and <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking about that. It's almost as if they've gotten a second chance. Yeah, so they, they the rewinding is okay in in that instance, right? Right, because if she is an adult, the age she was as an astronaut, there's certainly then that, that feeling that, well, she's going to go right back out into space again, and then we're going to relive this whole scenario over again. So, you know, I think that's why it's so readily acceptable to those two. Yeah. Now, I assume when uh, Krieger and Kern go to the local police, you know, they give Sparks description as a kidnapper and all that. And then the sheriff shoots the bot. At that point, he, he'd already been fed on by the entity. Yeah, and so now he's he's like a, I said a zombie earlier. Yeah. But it's kind of like Invasion of the Body Snatchers because now the offspring, instead of just going into someone's brain and, and influencing them for a little while to get them to shoot each other like the, the guys in the basement did, now it's full on taking them over. We're talking about a possession now. And that's something that I had mentioned last week was not something that we saw and I didn't expect to see. And I'm not sure how I feel about it, to be honest, the the idea that it could have these zombie servants. Yeah. And we do see the circle, right, on, on yeah. them a little bit. So, again, what's the significance of that? You know, I, I think we're going to find out. <laughs> that represents its takeover of the human host in, in, a, in a way, I think. Yeah. Um, I like, no, I love... <laughs> Mason's description about not having to go into space looking for life, that life has come to us. And and again, it's that kind of inference that this is not the first extraterrestrial contact that we've had. Well, if he's an expert in extra extraterrestrial life, he must have studied something before this, right, in order to become an expert. <laughs> right, right. And so, again, whether it it's in the ice like we've discussed or whether it's in... Well, didn't he say something about discovering signs of microbial life in the asteroids or something like that? I'm not exactly yeah, sure yeah, what it was. Yeah, So, But, yeah, this actor, Owain Yeoman, he's so good at playing the innocent enthusiast in whatever topic and then immediately switching to a strong like assassin character because i i just can't help but remember him in in the sarah connor chronicles for example yeah and he's kind of doing the same thing here where he's showing two different faces to molly yeah and you know it's almost as if the, the two of them are starting to bond uh you know she wants to know what to expect and you know then that whole idea we learned that she lost the baby in that crash and thinks that the entity came to impregnate her, you know, it's almost as if she's being given a second chance and, and a chance to make different decisions, go down a different path. And then, of course, the offspring takes advantage of that emotion, that thought that has crept into her memory. Yeah. Now, is it Mason that, that makes the comment about an evolutionary leap forward? Uh, I believe it is. And, and again, yeah. that's that's you know, something we discussed a couple episodes ago that that this certainly might be what it is. And I think I brought up Arthur C. Clarke's Childhood's End, which was really about uh, mankind's evolutionary steps. Although in that case, it was just, fast forwarding. Oh, it. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we left out like steps two, three, four, five, six. And but he's, he, I guess he's trying to th- put on the charm, though, because although it's a great conversation and it and it has all kinds of nice philosophical 
uh, taste to it. He's kind of distracting her from these military vehicles that are going down the road, which obviously he's <laughs> involved with. Involved with, yeah. <laughs> and now we're back to thinking, okay, he's a bad guy again. Exactly. So, all right. Now, uh, Sparks, I-, I don't know what to feel about him because on the one hand, I feel like he's trying to protect the baby, but on the other hand, is he trying to protect it simply because it gives him something that he wants and needs? Yeah, I mean, him going off the deep end is one thing, but to continue to help this creature, even after it says, he's hungry, or Katie says, he's hungry. Well, I I just fed him. Not that kind of hungry. And he's like, oh. Right. And he just goes along with it anyway. Right. I mean, it's like straight out of a horror movie. Exactly. And and Anya kind of buys it like when they're sitting there at, in the chairs. Is is this what it needs to to have Arcadie be around? Right. And she buys it too. Right. And then the idea that others can have loved ones they've lost. And, you know, like we said, you have to imagine what the implications would be if that is, in fact, possible, which. Well, that's what I wonder if Yasumoto was talking about that. Uh, I think I don't think he was, but it's possible that he also was talking about the change for the future of humanity in terms of being able to bring back those that we lost. Yeah, boy, and what a what a manipulator! I don't want to go back to the dark place with the dead people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what mother's going to be able to resist that one? Yeah, in that sense, the the young form that it's taken is an advantage for it. <laughs> right now, we're back to the road, and we're back to the birds again. Yeah, and. Yep. Uh, you know, a little Hitchcockian scene scene here, <laughs> yeah, with the uh, the birds crashing into the truck, and uh, you know, essentially saving Molly, right? Yeah. Once again, this is the only thing that we see now. I don't, I'm starting to wonder if it's less a matter of protecting Molly and warning Molly as it is needing Molly for something. So it might not be an emotional reaction. It might be a I need to keep my mom alive for some reason, and I, I think Yasumoto feels that way too. So is it a bond that causes the flock of birds to warn Molly, or is it a need to have Molly involved somehow? Yeah, ah, good call. I I don't know the answer, but either of them is plausible for sure. (laughs) Now, Molly calls John and tells him that the baby doesn't want her to be with Mason, which sounds kind of weird but i guess at this point everything's weird yes it's a very weird episode <laughs> you know uh, mason tracks her down cuffs her and then you know we're back to well mason is now like okay i'm gonna quit with the illusion of right. <laughs> academia <laughs> right but you know i still don't know well first of all we don't know who mason works for we do assume he works for yasumoto i i think he's just a lackey of or a disciple of yasumoto okay which means then you know he certainly wants to keep her alive and at this point wants to keep her alive because yasumoto thinks that she and the baby need to be together that that there's some kind of symbiotic need so you know maybe he's just handcuffing her because look you're a lot of trouble i'm going to reduce my trouble here (laughs) exactly (laughs) make sure it happens the way we need it to happen without any interference yeah well we see the offspring feed off the mechanic and and like we said we learned there are two kinds of feedings (laughs) i love the line it's probably my one of my favorite uh, lines. I mean, you know, I mentioned some of the other, you know, the discussions about really meaningful things, but the philosophical things. Yeah. <laughs> all the mobilized troops with Mason are going to go get the offspring, supposedly. And she says, I hope you told them to say goodbye to their families. <laughs> and hey, and she's, she's right. She's exactly right. Well, yeah, it's, it's a lot of the same kind of red shirts that we saw yeah, in the yeah. basement last episode. Yeah. Now, you know, they arrive there. Molly sees Anya and Sparks talking to Katie, but of course she can't see Katie. Yeah. And I think that was a very telling episode, like I said, is that, oh, okay. So the offspring is lying to Sparks and Anya about bringing Katie back. It can't really do that. It's just still all an illusion, but it just needs them to, to keep it fed. Yeah. And so it's making them, it's giving them an incentive that's not really something it can deliver on, I think. Right. But what about when then Sparks asks Molly if she wants to meet her son? You know, oh my gosh. Uh, that is so creepy. That smile on his face, it's just kind of plastered there. It's like, uh, Sparks, you do re- remember that you were just ha- tried to have Molly killed and that Molly knows that. 
And right. you're trying to act all friendly. <laughs> okay. Now, here's where it really goes fuzzy for me. Okay. Or we see Molly in a hospital bed. Sam's by her side. And she's telling her she's going to be all right. Marcus is improving. The baby's doing fine. Yeah. The baby's in an incubator. Here, you can, you know, you can put your hands in the holes and touch your baby and all that. And, you know, I'll leave you alone to get acquainted. I'll be back. So... Is that just a fantasy? Is yeah. that is that something though that the offspring is allowing her to see? Yeah, it's trying to rewrite history for her mind, rewrite her memories of the event. Okay, uh, I'm not sure why, <laughs> unless it's trying to create some kind of association between itself and the living baby that that. It shows in the flashback uh, the baby that Marcus and, and she would have had and maybe have her come out of it associating that with, with it. Yeah, and, and I think that's what makes the most sense. Does she break out of it, though? I mean, it, it, did it take hold? Because obviously she did break out of it. Is, is it too late at that point, or, or is she free from that illusion now? Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Uh, you know, the nice thing I think about all of this is there are only three episodes to go, and I think it's reasonable to assume we're going to get some sort of closure, that even if there is a season two, yes, we'll at least have closure. Well, so then Molly stumbles out of the cabin, and Sparks takes her inside another building, and, you know, who who knows? Who knows what happens from there? <laughs> right. Um, so uneven, I think, is, yeah. is fair. <laughs> That's a good... Uh, well, it's not a harsh word to use, but it's still critical. So I like that. <laughs> yeah. And I think there were certainly more highlights than low lights. <laughs> yeah. I even want to say no lights, not necessarily low lights, but just, just things that, I mean, they didn't detract. They just didn't add. Yeah. I'm with you on that. That's, it's something where I enjoyed the episode and a lot of the creepy factor was, was there to a uh, really nice degree. But the main thing were the scenes that seemed to go nowhere for me and the the X-Files feel in a bad way. Because, you know, X-Files nods to the mythology of the X-Files, great. But X-Files nods that feel like Creature of the Week episodes of X-Files, not so great. Yeah, I mean, I almost felt like I was watching some of the Black Oil episodes yeah. with the, in terms of the mechanic and the sheriff anyway. Yeah. Now, the one scene that i just want to you know get your take on and and i can't think of the character's name and i i can't even think of the actor's name so i put in the notes you know we're we're on that isea mission with victor from dollhouse oh yeah enver enver jokai yeah right um ben tells him there's going to be a course change we're going to be temporarily heading for earth but don't get your hopes up it's just temporary and and then that was it well, yeah. What did what did Molly do? Molly shifted the orbit of the Seraphim. Is is it now headed towards where the entity came from? Is it going to be crashing into the Earth? Is it going to be in a decaying orbit? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like we're going to have to keep your eye on that because that was very subtle. I mean, when you mentioned it, I, I have to admit because I'm at Dragon Con and distracted by other things, I didn't get a chance to rewatch as fully as I would have. And I had kind of forgotten about that, but that's a big deal. And distracted by the things you mean, Trisha Helfer. Um, <laughs> all right. Now, in, in the closing scene, you know, Sparks plans to kill Molly, but Katie tells him, no, he wants his mom. Yeah. Okay. So this is confirmation that, right. it's, that it's true what Yasumoto feels about Molly's necessity in this whole thing. Unless it's more manipulation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then... Harmon shoots the mechanic and then Sparks shoots Harmon and we presume uh, kills him. I I will miss you, Krager. <laughs> yes. So, well, we're left with, you know, a lot of questions, uh, some of which we talked about during the course of this discussion. Again, uh, you know, what is it that Krager experienced <laughs> that nobody else did? I mean, th- that's put him so single-mindedly on this path. Why don't we see the offspring? Well, I think they didn't want to use practical effects. They didn't want to use visual effects. And so it's just to leave it in the mind of the viewer. I think that's what they were going for. And as far as Krieger as well, I think it just, obviously we're never going to know now. And I think they were trying to provide a motivation for why he felt that way. And 
maybe it wasn't as strong of a reason that that satisfied us, but that's the reason that they're giving us. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, I think that's a good place to stop on this episode. All right. Well, then let's go ahead and move in, into our predictions. What do you got, Dave? All right. I think Molly is going to end up killing her baby. Ooh. I think what she's going to realize is that Krieger was right. Okay. And that it's going to be up to her in a climatic scene to basically, yeah, I don't want to maybe overstate it by saying save the human race, but that she's going to need to kill the baby and realize that it's really not her baby. Okay. And this sounds like something that might happen in the final episode. Right. Okay. Well, that's interesting because that's very similar to mine, but I'm not using Molly in my prediction. I'm actually going to be providing probably contradictory predictions here because, you know, I've been saying all along that I think the two plot lines of Ethan and the offspring are going to converge and that the offspring is going to end up being shown to have influenced Ethan's exponential progression. But now I'm wondering if actually with the Odin thing and all the, the stuff that's going on with him, that Ethan is being led towards a place where Odin thinks it's going to fit his goals, whatever they might be with regard to anti-tech and all that. But Ethan's going to be brought to a point where he is going to be the one that's going to be the only one that can defeat the offspring. Oh, I like yours way better than mine. <laughs> because, well, but the thing is, it's like I make that prediction, but it completely goes against a lot of what I said in terms of the offspring influencing Ethan. So I think the whole progression now, and maybe I'm just covering my bases here, <laughs> but that Ethan's progression is being shown that way as an kind of an inexplicable thing that's going on with his programming and, and sentience coming upon him kind of spontaneously, but that that state is necessary for him to overcome the offspring because he, and I think I mentioned this maybe a couple of weeks ago that Ethan is really the only one that might be immune to its effects. It's mental manipulations. Yeah. And it certainly doesn't uh, conflict with Asimov's yeah. robotic laws. Yeah. Because it's not a human life that it would be interfering yeah. with. But, but again, I think that also might be in a ultimate episode at the very end. <laughs> All right. All right. So good stuff, good stuff. And we have some really great stuff from our, listeners in our dark matter chatter segment and we're going to start like i said earlier with a mention from a listener his name is jim from tennessee and he was the one that brought up something that we missed last week and i thank him so much this is one of those situations where i don't feel bad that he that he pointed this out because i'm I'm so glad that he mentioned it so that we can we could uh, bring it back into the discussion. He says, Hi, Mike and Dave. Love your podcasts for both Continuum and Extant. I listened to your most recent podcast, Episode 7, and would like to make an observation. In the second hour, Extant showing titled Incursion, I am positive that I saw what looked like a small entity looking out. Looked like you could see glowing eyes from the pipes just after Sparks had shot Molly, which turned out to be Katie. Sparks hears something, then stares at the pipes where the sound is coming from and sees the eyes. Was I dreaming? Did I have a vision from the offspring? And I'll tell you, Jim, when I got this message, I'm like, what? And I went back, pulled it up. It's the very end of the episode. And sure enough, I had completely missed it. I was like, how on earth did I miss this? Did you miss it too, Dave, or did we just... No, I missed it too. And, and obviously it was when you told me about it that I then went and looked and yeah. Yeah, it, this wasn't a case of us forgetting to put it into our discussion. We honestly missed it. I must have looked away for a moment because it wasn't there long. And we saw it again in this episode with the supposed coyote <laughs> that the uh, landlady sees. But Jim goes on to say... I did not hear either of you mention this entity during the podcast. That's true. I assumed when the offspring broke out of the box, he was hiding in the room with Sparks and Katie, and the camera gave us a quick peek. What do you think? Was that him? Or should I have my brainwaves checked for anomalies or maybe new glasses? Nope, Jim, you're spot on. Thanks. You put on a great podcast, and I love the intelligent way you analyze these great shows. And Jim, same to you. Had a great analysis there yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to blame my wife because she always insists on turning the lights on <laughs> yeah. when, when I'm watching these shows. And that's and a dark 
piece of the episode. Absolutely. And and so much of it is. And, you know, anyway. All right. So uh, Anna from Mexico says, hey, guys, I've been listening to and enjoying your podcasts, uh, Liberate, for the past two seasons and Clone Wars. It's great to have you both now on GSM with Dark Matter. And now we found out that you'll also be doing Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is awesome. And we feel the same way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I like Extant a lot. I'm not bothered about the pace of the show, but I'm kind of confused with the story. Yeah, aren't we all? <laughs> um, in a good way. Yes. Sometimes I think I'm watching two different shows, one about Molly and the baby, Offspring, Alien, or whatever you want to call it, and another about Ethan and all the Humanics controversy. I get that both topics are related, well, kind of, and it seems that both are a challenge for humanity, one with the extraterrestrial life and the other with robotics. But yes, there's a but. I feel <laughs> that it's a lot to develop in a 13-ish episode season, and I'm afraid it's not enough time. Hopefully it will resolve something in the next few episodes. And, and yeah, we've been talking about whether or not the inevitable is going to occur, which is the, the meshing of the two plot lines. And, and she's right. I mean, there's only three episodes to go. Yeah, it is a bit worrisome. And I have to add that I'm a big fan of Anna's as well. She contributed to D- Daryl's uh, Stuff I Learned Yesterday. And Anna, I'm a fan of yours as well. So thanks for writing in. And we last hear from a veteran contributor, Christopher. Christopher says, you mentioned last week that Ethan's storyline and that of the offspring would eventually come together. I agree. I don't usually go too far into the crackpot theory realm, but something Molly said this week has had me thinking, and the idea won't let go. She said that over 99% of all species that ever existed are extinct. Yeah, that was kind of a surprising fact that she threw out there. I was not aware of. Uh, Christopher also got his mental juices flowing. I think we may be simultaneously witnessing the birth of one species amidst the death throes of another, with human beings being caught in the middle. Ethan may very well be the first of a new species, and this entity may well be the last, or one of the last, of whatever species it turns out to be. I like that. Can you imagine, Dave, uh, maybe out in the asteroid belt, a entity that's kind of trapped there and it can't flourish and it's dying slowly but surely oh amazing and now it's been let loose Uh, i am starting to believe that the entity has somehow used the unseen dark matter of space and the yellow goo as tools in its fight for its survival for a very long time yeah i like that Uh, that's a good theory Yasumoto has recognized these tools in his own quest for human immortality, and in contrast, this entity has finally encountered another sentient species in humans that it can use to bring its own kind back from the brink of extinction and preserve itself as well. Excellent, excellent idea, Christopher. And Christopher always shares with us his own prediction. He says, The offspring seems to have the ability to control any human it chooses, either through a direct means like the lab guards and the sheriff, or through emotional and visual manipulation with Sparks and Molly. The offspring's fight for survival or to remain extant in its hybrid form may very well require the sacrifice and thus the extinction of all mankind if unchecked. Ethan's emergence as a completely new species with a non-biological physiology may make him the one being on Earth that is immune to me. (laughs) How is this possible, Dave, that Christopher always ends up picking the same prediction that I do. Anyway, he says uh, Ethan's the only being on earth that is immune to manipulation of the offspring. I predict that a moment will come where Ethan's free will gives him the means to choose his function because he is immune to the entity's manipulation. He will choose to be the hero in order to save his family and quite possibly the entire human race. And by saving his creators, he may make possible the survival of his own species as well. This is uncanny, Dave. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's just awesome also. And and it was Julie that, you know, that he asks, what's my function, right? And then she tells him that, you know, we, we wanted you to discover your own function. Yeah, and in a sense, that's actually Julie agreeing with Odin, which yeah. is kind of a strange juxtaposition. Yeah. But it's funny, I honestly did not have any time to read these emails this week because of DragonCon, so... Honestly, Christopher, I swear I'm not doing it on purpose. Uh, but actually, that's it for this edition. I have to say, really quick, Gezis wrote into us on Twitter and said that he was sending us an email feedback this week as well. And Gezis, I'm sorry, it just didn't come through for some reason. It should have uh, by the time you mentioned it. But we'll go ahead and make sure we can include that next week. But 
that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Dark Matter Extant podcast. Keep up with the show news and fan interaction on Twitter by following us at Dark Matter GSM, as well as other Golden Spiral Media podcasts by following GSM Podcasts. And Mike and I will be back next week with our discussion of episode 11 of Extant entitled A New World. But in the meantime, head on over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback to share your thoughts. You can write a message, record a comment using your computer's microphone, or call 304-837-2278. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Dark Matter, please consider rating and reviewing us in iTunes. And I want to thank, once again, we got another five-star review, this time from Slacker Inc. Thank you very much, Slacker Inc. And... Go ahead and follow his example and the example of those who have left a review in the past and head on over to iTunes. You can go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes for a very easy way to leave your feedback and review. And we'll go ahead and talk to you next weekend.